Welcome to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere. Welcome to Season 3 of the Center of Everywhere podcast. I'm Marnie Werner, and I'm the Vice President of Research at the Center for Rural Policy and Development. We are a private, nonpartisan, nonprofit dedicated to providing data-driven research on rural issues to help our policymakers make more informed decisions affecting rural Minnesota. On this episode, I'm talking with Don Hickman, Vice President for Community and Workforce Development at the Initiative Foundation in Little Falls. And we're going to be talking about childcare as an economic development tool, which is something near and dear to your heart, Don. So welcome. Thank you very much, Marnie. Yeah. So um, I think by now, just about everybody knows that we have a problem with access to childcare. Uh, the center has been studying this for about seven years now, and we just released our latest report looking at solutions that communities around the state are trying themselves. And one thing that has become really abundantly clear now is that childcare or the lack of it is affecting our ability to attract and retain workers in greater Minnesota. And the workforce shortage has been going on for a while since even before the pandemic, and it continues to get worse as businesses scramble to hire people. So you're in the middle of this, Don. Central Minnesota has grown a lot of jobs and there aren't enough people to fill them. And now childcare is part of the issue. So how do, how do those two intersect? Well, thank you, Marnie. And, and you're so right that this is not merely a pandemic artifact. The state demographer has tell, been telling us for 25 years that we would experience a significant workforce shortage beginning around 2020 and lasting at least a decade. And the pandemic just exacerbated that in particular by devastating the home-based childcare sector. And so, uh, I do approach this entirely as a economic development challenge. Um, as you say, we can't attract and retain talent, particularly young families, if they can't find child care. And I would also like to add that the free market's not going to fix this. There is such a thin profit margin in child care that uh, for virtually any provider, any child care provider, she'll earn significantly more at the local quick trip with benefits than she does in her sector. People go into this. Uh, I heard a legislator say yesterday, because they have the, the helper gene, uh, the, the compassion gene, they love children, but, but it's not a lucrative field. And if she can't make ends meet, there's just, it, there's no way to make that sustainable. So we've got to figure out ways to engage both community and private sector fit leaders in figuring out how we're going to create right-sized solutions for every community because the solutions differ across the region. Yeah, and so what are you hearing from employers that yeah. come to you? You know, it's it's been interesting to watch the change. I remember going to one of my most brilliant economic development leaders in the region five years ago and saying, We're, we have a child care problem. And she said, no, we don't. And all of her younger employer employees behind her were saying, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, but but generationally, if you don't have young children or if you're not watching your grandchildren, you may not 
have seen this coming. Now, I, I think people are seeing it everywhere. Um, as recently as two years ago, I think many employees were hesitant to say to their employer, child care is a barrier for me. But right now, it's so acute that, that there's just no way to, to beat around the bush. Um, we used to use our friend John Rademacher, who's the city administrator for Little Falls, as a, as a poster boy. He moved to Little Falls to accept that position, uh, confident his family would follow him as soon as they found infant care. And, and now in hindsight, looking in the rearview mirror, he realized that a nine-month wait for infant care was one of the fastest success stories either of us have heard. And, and he, again, just as an example of the young and credentialed talent we'd like to attract and retain in our rural communities, um, John is a, is a really good example. So uh, we had a marvelous fair in St. Cloud area this last weekend that, of course, I saw you at. And many mm -hmm. businesses did lift up different strategies. I've talked to many businesses that are looking at how to provide child care as a benefit, guaranteeing uh, at least some financial support. We heard one employer who recognized that for those of us who are not in child rearing age, that might be perceived as a discriminatory or at least selective benefit. And so this employer had widened the benefit to include elder care as well. And since most working people are at one stage or the other, that seemed to me a pretty, pretty thoughtful solution. Um, we have had some employee, employers talk about a model not, not, not dissimilar from uh, a community-supported agriculture, CSA subscription mm -hmm. model, where they would go to the local child care center or home-based provider and basically guarantee slots, perhaps even pay for them up front so that the provider has cash flow. And then if they don't need them, they'll get a credit, but she can then open them to other families. But that's a way to assure that your employees have access to those limited slots in a community. Um, in communities with significant employers, meaning large employers, we've had a lot of conversation, not yet action in my region, about leasing or even donating space on site. Uh, for example, in Long Prairie, virtually, I'm exaggerating, but virtually everyone works for one, or, one of three or four meat processing facilities or the hospital or county government. And several of the meat processing facilities either had homes adjacent to their facility or in-house proper or in-house room where they could host a child care facility. And if they could lease that at a nominal cost, if a child care provider doesn't have to cover her mortgage or rent, that completely changes the business model and is likely to move her from the red into the black. And while it might appear to be a loss leader for the employer, they will have such dramatic improvement in employee retention that I think they'll very quickly realize it's, it's a plus side on the ledger. Um, a similar example is in Onamia in Mille Lacs County, Mille Lacs Health Systems has struggled for years to attract and retain young credentialed talent in their health system the Max Corporate Ventures, the for-profit arm of the Max Band of Ojibwe, owned an empty building 
not a block from the hospital and corporate ventures is rehabbing the building into a child care center the health systems will virtually guarantee all slots and an existing licensed provider will run the facility and and i i think that's a particularly elegant solution in that clearly a hospital doesn't want to get into the business of child care but this way they're helping the private sector they're not running her out of business and they're they're partnering with the the corporate ventures that does want to cover their their bets but but will clearly stimulate the economy locally now that you can attract and retain talent so i'm really excited by that one um in Kanabic County, my most rural and low-income county, one of my stops on the educational journey was they don't have any large employers. And so no one can intervene on, on a more macro scale. And so they very quickly recognize that, that really they need to do everything they can to support and, and lift up their home-based providers. Uh, home home-based child care is typically nearly a third cheaper than center-based, and a center needs nearly 80 children to cash flow, while home-based for a single employee is typically eight to ten kids. Or if you have a helper, you might get it as large as 12. But for these rural low-income communities, that's right-sized. And particularly if people are learning, earning lower salaries, that's what they want and need. Uh, you can stand them up far quicker, getting licensed for home-based care is much faster than, than center-based care. And so the county has embraced a strategy of exploring what can we do to encourage people to consider this field. One of the early strategies that dovetails with the Kanabic Insight was when the pandemic first hit, we were worried that people who'd lost their jobs would need to be retrained and gain credentials in a different field because their jobs might not be coming back. And Pine Technical and Community College stood up a program where you could get your, uh, through an accelerated online class you could get your Childhood Development Associate Certificate in 16 weeks online at night. Um, and, and not only did they have a full subscription to the class, they had a waiting list two times larger. Ooh. So clearly there was demand. Um, uh, they, they, we have subsequently been able to secure funding from the state of Minnesota where we will we have a contract with three community colleges in our region, Pine Tech, Central Lakes College in Brainerd, and St. Cloud Tech and Community College in St. Cloud, where anyone taking credentialing classes for early childhood education will graduate with zero debt. That doesn't mean we're paying every expense, but you send the student first to financial aid, and then if there's anything not covered, we'll, we'll, we'll cover those expenses. And even to leave with your credentials and zero debt, helps people start with a fresh slate. And, and once they have that credential, we are more than happy to offer them financing if they need to stand up a new business. There are small grants from Child Care Aware and First Children's Finance if minor expenses like fencing or, or new flooring or fire safety equipment, that sort of thing is a barrier to your license. And, and licensors have gotten more and more cognizant that 
yes, it's it's their job description to uphold regulatory standards, but at the same time, anything they can do to help people understand and achieve compliance serves the entire sector. And so we see lots of licensors, and many, of course, were, were perfect in every way beforehand, but even more now, they are recognizing that they need to approach this as a compliance coach and help people figure out how to get licensed rather than merely the 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 standard of what safe and quality care is right yeah and now you mentioned um the importance of having a right-sized solution yes. in a community what why don't you talk a little bit more about that and why that's so important it really is and and in a perfect world i cannot think of an exception to the rule that right-sized actually means a very diverse ecosystem of child care almost never is is all home-based or all center-based the solution. You need both. Uh, there may be families that due to income or faith or work shift or personal relationship have a very strong preference for that home-based care. And that should be their choice and option. Um, it is less expensive. It is faster to stand up. And, and there mo most communities, there's someone ready and eager to do that. As I mentioned before, by First Children's Finance, the organization First Children's Finance is modeling, you need nearly 80 children to make a center typically cash flow. There are exceptions, but not many. And so you need a pretty higher concentration of children to make that work. Um, but there's no reason they, they need to be incompatible. In a perfect world, you have both. Um, mm -hmm. One one conversation I'm always eager to advance because it's so easy to have unintended consequences on the road to good intentions is we've seen a lot of school districts stand up and say, we're eager to participate too. Often they will offer free childcare for kids four and older. And again, that sounds fantastic, but childcare providers make their income on kids four and older and they typically lose money on infants because the regulatory ratio for teachers to infants is much higher than on the older kids. And so if a school district swoops in and scoops up the kids that are older, they're probably driving home-based providers out of business, which, it, in the, which in the long run will clearly not serve a community's needs. Yeah, and it really is for the providers so much about profit margin, isn't it? These it centers is, and, have know, much more overhead and you have to have that number of kids just to make that income. Correct. Correct. So, so it's not to say a school district should never be involved. I was at a hearing a week ago in the, in the city of Little Falls where our office is located and the school that the city is adding 500 jobs this year they were already short 500 childcare slots and uh, there aren't enough childcare providers in the community as it is. So when the school district pledged that they would off, they would add commensurate proportion of infant slots to a center they hope to open within the next year, I don't perceive that as a threat or conflict with the local private sector it will take pressure. If anything, it will take pressure off them and increase parent choice. So I, I, I'm a big fan of, of this conversation, um, but that wouldn't always be the case in every community. You just need to explore what, what your gaps are and what the, how, 
what the current open capacity of existing private sector providers are before you you come up with your prescription because you don't you don't want to lose any more in the act of trying to do good deed. Indeed, yes. So um, there's been a you know an idea out there for quite a while that employers should just provide the child care. They should um, you know open a center or something like that. Um, but we know that doesn't necessarily work because just like communities, providers or um, employers come in different sizes and whatnot. What are some of the barriers that employers face in trying to solve this child care issue themselves? Thinking, thinking as an economic development professional, I can't imagine too many employers that want to get into the business of child care. So let, let's just put that on the table to begin with. That shouldn't mean you shouldn't be at the table. The point there is that um, you can open doors or create a relationship with an existing provider without getting into the business of child care. And again, my, my dream outcome is that uh, an employer could offer space or lease space at a reduced rate um, and, and thus help with the business model for a local licensed provider. Um, and, and, and it, de it depends on the, on the size, but, but that might be a home-based provider. It might be a center. One of my trustees is Rick Bowerly of Granite Equity in St. Cloud, and he's been circulating the concept of clustering smaller employers together and, and surfacing solutions, uh, in collective, if you will. So mm -hmm. even if you only have 12 employees you're and, and some of them aren't with small children, but if we then have six employers with 12 employees each, that easily will be enough for two or three home-based child care or maybe a small center. And so, so even talking at your chamber, at your, at your local economic development associations to your neighboring uh, businesses uh, may surface solutions that, um, are economically sustainable that don't put the employer at in a field that's not their area of expertise, but that improve their access to those young families and, and the young talent that we're all hungry for these days. Yeah. So um, actually, we should back up a little and talk about what what is the Initiative Foundation, <laughs> and uh, what do you and your your you're one of six foundations in Minnesota, uh, all part of the Initiative Foundation family. So, what do you all do to help with this? And and well, what do you do in general? And then, what are you doing to help with childcare? Thank you, Marnie. So in 1986, which old dogs like me remember as the farm crisis years, the McKnight Foundation was very cognizant that for all of their extraordinarily generous philanthropy in the Twin City metro area, they didn't know what rural Minnesota needed. And so part of their response was to birth six autonomous regional community foundations, as you joke, known as the Minnesota Initiative Foundation Network or Family. Um, collectively, we cover all 81 rural counties in, in Minnesota, everything but the, or 80, 80, everything but the seven county metro. Um, my region is 14 counties, 163 cities, and two sovereign tribal nations of central Minnesota. We are headquartered in Little Falls with offices in St. Cloud and Brainerd. 
we lend as a charitable activity. We are gap lenders. We are a community development financial institution or CDFI. That means we get money from treasury to gap lend. We don't want to compete with local banks, but if if an entrepreneur needs more cash than a bank can lend, we'll come into the second position and help them create living wage jobs. Uh, we provide technical assistance and business planning, either through partnerships with our small business development offices or through our own staff or contractors. We also are grant makers. And so I actually coordinate the grant making side of our foundation. Um, and, and the priorities shift over time. Uh, when I snuck into the foundation 20 some years ago, I was primarily focused on environmental grant making. Uh, over time that, that has shifted, we have worked on methamphetamine prevention, uh, uh, early childhood literacy and social emotional development. Um, housing bubble and pandemic economic uh, relief measures. And now as we start to recover in the economy, again, the, the greatest threat to our economic vitality is we're creating too many jobs and can't attract and retain the workforce. And that's where childcare came onto the, the scene. Um, Deed in the Minnesota legislature has been very generous to all six of us, budgeting in the last session, $3 million collectively to all six of us we can't grant that money, but we can contract. And so um, again, very intentionally, each of the six have slightly subtle and subtly different strategies to meet the needs of their regions. But um, my biggest single investment is this relationship with our community colleges to make sure that people who want to enter this field can quickly gain get credentialed. Um, and I, I was sending out correspondence this week that if we've got enough of that entry-level credential, the Childhood Development Associate Certificate, let's now open that door even wider and allow those funds to be used to support two- and four-year degrees so that someone who's entered the field can continue to climb the ladder of professional development and hopefully earn more over time, again, retaining talent and workforce in that sector so that it can support other sectors. Yeah, great. Now, one thing I thought of uh, while you were talking about this was, um, you know, in particular with people getting their degrees and entering the business, what about the many immigrants that we have in the area? You talked about Long Prairie and the meatpacking plants and whatnot. They have a particular problem with finding childcare. Um, what's, is, what's going on with that? I'll actually start in St. Cloud as my economic hub. Uh, the MSA has nearly 300,000 people, and it is home to as many as 20,000 East Africans, many, mostly Somalis. And there's a vibrant uh, uh, ec economic ecosystem of Somali or multicultural child care there. One of my former employees or colleagues, uh, Abdi Dasani, owns the Blooming Kids Child Care Facility mm -hmm. right across the street from the library there. And it's completely multicultural. But um, just like if it were you and me, many people do choose their child care to align with their own faith journey or educational aspirations. Do you want multilingual child care providers or do you want your kids to speak only English either because that's what they speak at home or you want them to improve in their English language capacity. Um, and that, you know, we're very interested in, in supporting 
new Americans in the child care sector, that that it's a it's a career path that's very appealing to many people who are new to the country because the the barriers aren't that great with the right sorts of coaches or mentors or guideposts to get you licensed and successful. We do offer Islamic compliant financing uh, if someone if that was a barrier to someone entering the field um, or conventional financing. Um, I've, I continue to mention First Children's Finance. Like us, they are a CDFI. They only that the only types of clients they work with are child care providers. So they can help you develop a smart business plan um, at no charge. And and like us, would love to offer someone financing to start or expand a child care operation. And we we have even shared deals in my region where they'll take half of it and we'll take the other half to reduce risk for both of us. But as CDFIs, we can't offer the money cheaper than a bank, but often we can take greater risks than a bank might otherwise. Likewise, First Children's Finance has some loans that can be forgiven as long as you stay in business. So they're a great partner in this field. You mentioned Long Prairie, and that's one of my most interesting and, 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 and fascinating dynamic communities. And Long Prairie uh, and Melrose, which is also in Stearns County, we have a very large concentration of Spanish-speaking workers. And that has been a harder nut to crack. Um, nearly all East Africans are refugees from the Civil War in East Africa and entered the country as refugees and immigrants and have complete documentation or sponsored by faith communities. A percentage of our Spanish-speaking population is not documented. And so even if the majority of them are documented, there's been hesitancy to put your name on paper or to come to public meetings for fear that it's a front for immigration raids. And it, it breaks my heart that even if I am completely clear that you are documented and eligible for financing and would be a marvelous child care provider, if I can't get you to enter the field, we're still stuck. And so we have been working, there's a wonderful um, Chamber of Commerce director there who is highly trusted in the Spanish speaking community. We have worked with Latino Economic Development Center so that the, the face of the community is brown and Spanish speaking. Um, and, and we have tried to host tours so they can see other, other uh, licensed Spanish speaking child care providers and recognize this is a path I can pursue. Um, when you think about the meat processing facilities, the majority of workers are men. And if their wife could be working across the street, running the child care, earning income and being close to her children at the same shift, boy, it seems to me that's a wonderful wealth creation opportunity for, for the, the household. Um, one of my dreams is to create a Latina-owned child care cooperative in Long Prairie. Um, but that's still something I'm working on. If I had solved that one, I would be ready to pat myself on the back. But that's that's still a still an unachieved goal of mine. Well, great. So what should businesses or anyone in the community that is, um, you know, if they're interested in this, they want to help in some way with the shortage? What should they do? Who should they contact? 
Yeah. Um, again, the, there is a, a Minnesota Initiative Foundation contact, a MIF contact, uh, anywhere in the rural counties of Minnesota, anywhere outside the six, uh, uh, seven metro counties. And and Marnie, I, I'm confident you can connect them or mm -hmm. or I would be happy to. And, and Don Hickman, D. Hickman at ifound.org, I will introduce you to your local contact. Um, two other allies I will hold up that are wonderful in advancing these conversations at the community level. We work with First Children's Finance very intimately, and, and they are commissioned through our state uh, funding to convene any community that wants to start this conversation. And we insist that you have businesses at the table there, as well as your existing child care providers, so that we don't make these unintentional are the the intentional choices that lead to unintentional consequences. We want everybody to understand this problem, the scale of the problem, and to tailor the solution to what the workforce there needs. Um, a, another great ally is the child care aware system, and and some folks have reservations about this. They this is the quality rating system of Minnesota, but let me point out that they have grants for startup child care operations. Uh, one does not have to fully participate in all of their programming, but they they are largely the hosts for the new Wayfinder program. And Wayfinders are, if you will, navigators that whether you're a parent, an employer, a provider, whatever your needs are, they'll they'll track down your the answer to your question and get back to you very, very promptly. So if you are the provider who needs a fence around her yard or you're going to lose your license, she'll help you track a grant down to accomplish that. If you're the employer who's just learned that people are turning down your job offers because they can't file child care in your community, at a minimum, she'll help surface every provider in your community and see if anyone has slots. And if not, let's start that conversation about how we add slots. Uh, so th those are perhaps my two greatest allies. Um, I keep evoking Pine Tech and Community College in Pine City. Uh, the woman who is who coordinates all the programming there is both the first is both the child care aware coordinator and the faculty member, and deeply connected with First Children's Finance. And you'll find a lot of people are are, are that deeply connected. And so um, we just get in touch with your MIF contact, and we'll we'll plug you into the network. And we should mention that. Um for communities that are like looking for help with this, you you and First Children's Finance, you will actually help them plan and walk them through the process, right? It's not just Absolutely. like, let's show up for a meeting, we talk at no, you that's, and leave that's again. That's right. And, and again, I come at this from an economic development perspective. I know communities want solutions in the in in the in the on the timeline of business. For me, that's typically four to five months. You need that much time to understand your problem and what solutions will be right-sized in your community. But but we also don't want to admire the problem. We want to stand some <laughs> something up in real time. Um, and, and four to five months seems about right. Great. Okay. So what else? Um, I guess, what's the, you know, when you look at what's going on out there and, and people are noticing the issue now and are getting enthusiastic about trying to do something about it. What gets you excited about what you're seeing now out there? 
I, I love the folks who are standing up uh, local partnerships that, that advance solutions. Again, this, this new, the, per, perhaps our, our favorite success in my region is this partnership between Mille Lacs Corporate Ventures who had the facility, Mille Lacs Health Systems that had the need, and the local provider with, who had the license. And helping them find each other uh, is going to add 80 slots in Onamia, which, which is, is heaven sent. It really is. I also think deeply about the policy barriers and opportunities, recognizing that the free market's not going to solve this. The state of Nebraska recently passed legislation that extended state health care coverage to all early childhood educators, meaning child care providers. Wow. And Nebraska is hardly a socialist republic, um, but they recognized if they want to retract and retain young talent, this is an urgent need. And that was a huge barrier that virtually no child care provider had benefits. Why would I ethically even talk your daughter into going into the field when she may be exposed uh, without benefits? And, and now that's not an issue in Nebraska. I, I'm so impressed and thrilled with that one. Another one that we are cooking up is a shared services model. If you talk to a provider Again, typically they go into the field because they love children. What they don't often embrace or excel at is bureaucracy. And so we are trying to create a pool of money that, that employers and philanthropy can contribute to, perhaps local government too, that would offer the back room support, the back office support, the accounting, the scholarship processing, the licensing renewals, anything that that logs down that provider after she's already logged her nine or 10 hours a day with the kids mm -hmm. and isn't what brings her joy. And if we could pay for that, if nothing else, I, I, I honestly believe it'll improve the bottom line. I suspect that collections and, and bill paying and, and all of that critical work of the business of childcare will get done, but more efficiently and mm -hmm. more effectively than it does now. And in a minimum, it will reduce the stress and re restore some joy and fulfillment to the folks in the field. Um, another example of shared service model is a substitute pool. If you are that home-based provider, you can never attend your own child's school event or take a sick day without shutting down your business. That's and, big. And it, it really is. And that's part of the reason we lost so many home-based providers during the pandemic Either they lost their client base because children or their parents were sick, or they themselves were sick and had to close their business and never got back up to full speed again. And so if we had a pool that you could call, whether it's for one day or for one week, um, we think that would also introduce some resiliency into that home-based childcare sector in particular. Um, and again, we recognize most people who choose home-based childcare did it out of a personal relationship with the provider. We don't want that to become unstable, but just to have a backup plan, I think will give a lot of folks a bit of relief. So those are two policy examples that I get very excited about. And the interesting part, the part that gives me hope is these are nonpartisan. Um, they're not simple. They're absolutely not simple, but I've talked to legislators on both sides of the aisle who recognize this is an economic development issue. We've got to figure out how to strengthen the sector.
Great. Well, we have covered a lot. I think we had a, this is a great conversation and thank you so much for being on. If people want to find out more about the initiative foundations or your particular initiative foundation, where should they go? You bet. So our website is ifound.org. It's short for initiativefoundation.org. Um, and there actually is a map of all six initiative foundations on the About Us uh, page on that website. You're also welcome to drop me an email, dhickman at ifound.org. And if you're not in my region, please tell me where you are. And if you're not in my region, I'll connect you with your local contact. And if you are in my region, we'll start the conversation that day as to what I can do for your community. Well, great. Well, thanks so much for being on today. My, my honor. And thank you for the work you're doing to advance awareness of this important issue. You've been listening to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere. Everywhere.